Welcome back to the Tickle the Twine podcast. I'm your host, Brooks Bellman, and today we're doing a trade deadline wrap-up. It was a pretty crazy uh, trade deadline, um, not only with a flurry of deals coming on Thursday right before the deadline, but also in the preceding days leading up to Thursday, we had a couple big um, big trades, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we had, um, as suspected, some, some pretty big craziness at the deal. I guess the big news, um, and what we'll start with here, is just uh, Anthony Davis did not get traded. Uh, there were some leaks coming out, and actually looks like a pretty interesting situation. We're going to have to see how kind of stuff develops. But it looks like what happened was is there were leaks that the Pelicans didn't respond to any of the Lakers' um, offers and instead decided to just leak them in order to foment a bad situation chemistry-wise to get back at them for kind of getting Anthony Davis to request a trade, which is super interesting and super petty, but kind of par for the NBA if that's true. Also, what the not what the no deal and Anthony Davis remaining on the Pelicans has led to is a situation where the Pelicans don't seem like they want to play him, but Anthony Davis has demanded that he be be he be um, played and has filed a uh, a request with the league. and And what happens there is that um, because of the situation, and I'm not I don't understand. I haven't read into all the different the minutia of the rules, but basically because he him and his agent Rich Paul put in a request of the league. The Pelicans are mandated to play him at minimum 25 minutes a game. And so we saw with his first game back after the deadline, he played exactly 25 minutes. He was booed the entire time at home, and then the Pelicans pulled him off the floor um, so that they can fulfill the mandate, and then they don't get in trouble otherwise. This situation is super, super interesting and and weird, and I think it's going to be um, – the rest of the season is going to be odd for Davis, for Davis and the Pelicans. Clearly, the fans are not happy with Davis and his trade request, and at the same time – Davis does kind of seem genuinely like a guy who's committed to winning and playing basketball. He's got a history of just like hating when he can't play, notably be missing the 2016 Olympics due to an injury was definitely something that he you could tell he hated a lot. Um, so I don't think he has ulterior motives with this like request to play. He just really, really wants to play. But at the same time, the Pelicans don't want him to play because he does have a history of getting injured and he doesn't want to get injured. They don't want him to get injured and lose his value. And so that's kind of the back and forth that we're probably going to see happen um, the rest of the time. At the same time, um, we've got, we had some inner strife for the Lakers because of this. There also seems to be some building strife among the Celtics because a lot of their names have been mentioned in trade talks for the summer when the Celtics are eligible to trade for them. And there's been some drama with Kyrie. So this Anthony Davis situation has not come to an end. Um, it only continues to get more interesting and it it's got uh, a multiple teams futures are on the line with this not just the pelicans whenever they decided trading with but it looks like the lakers and the celtics will be involved even if it's a tertiary matter and one of the only one of them trades for him or neither trade for him um they look committed to have a lot riding on kind of how the situation plays out but without further ado we're going to kind of jump right into the trades um i'm going to hit um probably some of the smaller ones first um just so that we can get them out of the way and get on to the uh, bigger ones and the, and the uh, more important ones, I guess you could say. But I want to knock through these small ones because it's only going to take a couple minutes to go through each. And that way we can dive deep on the big ones. Uh, we're talking the Tobias Harris trade. We're talking about, um, obviously, that's the biggest one. Then Marcus Gasol got traded. Nik- Nikolai Miritich, those are the three big ones. Um, and kind of the rest of them are kind of just out on the, out on the uh, periphery. So here, to knock out a couple easy ones uh, right off the bat, we had the Lakers uh, trading for Reggie Bullock and sending Sophie Mikhailu 
and a future second rounder to the Pistons. This was done um, before the deadline. Um, I don't. Th I think it was done before Thursday, and it's just the Lakers moving to add a shooter because they definitely need shooting, and they've kind of figured out that the whole let's put playmakers around LeBron and have him do more than just hold the ball the entire time is not really the ideal, and we're just going to see LeBron go back to um, what he's best at, which is surrounding him with shooters and letting him do what he does. Uh, they made another trade that we'll go over in a minute where they did the similar thing. For the Pistons, they get an extra asset and a second-round pick, and hey, Svi is a... Is a um, good young shooter um we've seen him make shots already with the lakers he definitely has a future but i think i saw someone describing it on twitter like it's trading like an orange sapling for an orange tree and that for the lakers they get the orange tree what you kind of want the sapling to be but you miss out on watching the sapling grow and kind of vice versa it's a pretty good comparison for this trade reggie bullock's a solid guy he can play pretty he can play good all right defense he's gonna hit hit open threes um and probably fit right into what they want to do around lebron svi that's kind of what probably his ceiling as a player and we hope to see him get there moving on to another one of the smaller trades on the outside here's it here's a couple we can knock out easy um this one probably went under the radar the raptors traded malachi richardson in a 2022 second round pick as long as well as the draft rights to emir prevdlik um to the 76ers in exchange for cash. This was just for the Raptors to clear open a roster spot and save some cap room. Um, probably they're going to be more active in the buyout market because of this deal. Uh, the 76ers immediately waived Malachi Richardson. Um, similarly, we saw the Pacers. Um, they traded for Wade Baldwin, Nick Stauskas, and a second round pick. This is... Okay, actually, hold on. Um, another... So, like I mentioned, the Pacers traded for Wade Baldwin, Nick Scalsis, and a second-round picks in exchange uh, for cash to the Rockets. This comes after the Rockets traded for Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin in a three-way deal with the Kings and the Cavs, where the Rockets got Iman Shumpert and those two guys, the Kings got Alec Burks, and the Cavs got Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, Chris and a lottery-protected 2019 second-rounder. Um, what we have here, and if you couple that with one other deal by the Rockets, which was they sent James Ennis to the 76ers in exchange for a 2021 second rounder um, swap swap rights, the Rockets made multiple moves at this deadline. First, uh, swapping out, um, getting Brandon Knight and Marquise, Marquise Chris off the books and bringing in Iman Shumpert, then dealing away Baldwin and... Um, Stauskas, who they'd gotten in the Shumpert deal, and then dealing away James Ennis. All of these moves were kind of built around the Rockets getting under the tax and saving money. Which So they're not terrible moves. Obviously, James Ennis kind of did not play out as much as the Rockets would have liked so far this season. He's not been the replacement for uh, Trevor Ariza that they were hoping he would be. But all these moves kind of indicate a subtle um, shift by the Rockets to to save money, to avoid spending, to you know get under the tax. Uh, I think they're just under the the luxury tax now. They're still over the cap, but under the uh, luxury tax. And so these moves, the reason why we, it's important to just kind of make a mention on them. The Shumpert deal could work. You know, Shumpert could work out and can kind of fit that Ariza role that they wanted Enos to, and he just failed to. But getting rid of Enos, getting rid of extra guys, dumping salary like they have, and getting nothing really back is indicative of a owner that seems unwilling to pay the pay the uh, luxury tax um, and not pay as much money. The owner has said in the past, he's a new owner, bought the team recently, that he would be willing to pay whatever. 
um, as long as they're a contender and as long as they're making runs at titles. But then if they're if they start to lose, then that that calculus obviously changes for him. What these moves signal is maybe he wasn't entirely being genuine uh, with those comments, and that saving money is slight, it's kind of important to him. Which at the end of the day isn't the worst thing, but it moves you from having a one of the better owners to one of the, not as good, not a bad owner, but necessarily you're no longer in that upper tier of owners. And um, we've talked about on this podcast a lot, but but having a good owner and an owner that knows when to play hands off and he's willing to spend money and he's willing to kind of facilitate building the best team is is a big competitive advantage in the NBA right now. Bad owners like the Bulls and the Suns owners are are clearly holding teams back. Um, you can make an argument that the Pelicans owner is holding them back. Um, uh, Benson, the Benson family, just because of they're too tied up with the Saints, they can't run the team effectively. We clearly see the Wizards dropping the ball both in the front office and from the owner. Um, we saw that the Cavs owner is part of the reason LeBron left. So you, you can see how big of a deal having a solid owner is. And consistently not having a good owner and just um, putting your team in a bad position where they have to make a bunch of moves really quick to get away from assets in order to get under the deadline can kind of affect um, can affect your team. And even though these moves seem seem minor, this what did they signal could be worse. So now I doubt that this will have much of a bearing on this season just because James Ennis was not playing that well. Um, but it could be indicative of what we could see the future be as the team starts to get more and more expensive, um, as Chris Paul ages, as you know, and, and that kind of stuff, and how that plays out. Moving on, we got one final, just kind of small deal I wanted to cover. Uh, the Pelicans acquired and then immediately waived Mar- Markeith Morris uh, from the Wizards in exchange for Wesley Johnson. Um, the Pelicans also got a 2023 second rounder out of it. This is just a salary dump. For the Wizards, um, to help them get under the tax a little bit, it'll be coupled with the trade we talk about in a little bit. We saw a lot of teams um, moving to save themselves money. And one more we'll cover with that is the Heat. Um, The Heat were able to deal Tyler Johnson and Wayne Ellington to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for Ryan Ryan Anderson. Um, This is going to save the Heat a little bit of money. Um, it's going to get them under the tax, which is a huge get for them given the quality of their team. You also get off the Tyler Johnson contract. Um, and, I mean, it sucks to see Wayne Ellington go, but Ellington was not getting rotation minutes, and he's a solid player, and it actually looks like he's going to sign with the Pistons now um, after being waived by the Suns. But, um, yeah, the Heat get out of Tyler Johnson. I'm pretty sure he had one more ye- uh, year on his deal than Ryan Anderson, and he also made less money, and so... Uh, Tyler Johnson was a bad contract from the 2016 offseason that the Heat were able, that the Heat, I, I think, overpaid him on. Tyler Johnson's a, a, a fine player. He can create his own shot uh, and can score and is definitely young and scrappy. But um, I do think it's a little bit of an, it was a little bit of an overpay for him and kind of getting out from under that contract is good, especially given um, the heavy guard rotation that the Heat currently have. Um, and we want, they're trying to get Roddy Magruder more time. Josh Richardson has obviously... Um, come alive as this top player and someone that you want to give a bulk of the minutes to. And obviously, they still have Goran Dragic on the roster. Um, Wade is still there. Deion Waiters is going to want minutes. So you kind of have a long jab in the backcourt, and this is one way they had um, to, try and f- to try and free up time um, in the backcourt. And it, it's good for them. It's a great move by them to get under the cap and not have to give up that much in order to do it. So you would think in a situation like this, they'd have to attach a pick in order to accomplish this, but they they did not have to do a pick. All right, those were a couple of smaller deals. I just wanted to take like five or so minutes to go over some of the less big deals that are going to have less 
of an impact on the race. Um, but we're going to go more in deep to, to some of the bigger moves now and kind of talk. So the first one we're going to start with is the, the, um, the big 76ers move, which was dealing uh, Landry Shamet, Wilson Chandler, um, and a lottery protect and Mike Muscala, a lottery protected 2020 first rounder, a 2021 unprotected first rounder. That's the Heat pick, and then a 2021 and a 2023 second round pick to the Clippers in exchange for Tobias Harris, Boban, and Mike Scott. And this deal was huge. Um, it, it, the Sixers immediately started putting out information about how this was going to create a big four for them. They've gotten Bede, Simmons, Jimmy Butler, and now Tobias Harris is their big four. You match them with J.J. Redick. It's a pretty powerful starting five. And they said that they want to keep all these guys long-term and kind of play with this roster going forward, which is a lofty goal given how much these guys are going to command on the market and Part of the reason that the Clippers were trying to deal and able to deal Tobias Harris was that it looked like he was going to look to get in the high 20s, if not uh, 30 or so million in the offseason. And so he was definitely going to demand a high number. And so they wanted to get out from under him while the 76ers are willing to take on that money and pay him that. But um, it's because of what he adds. I think this is going to be an interesting fit for the Sixers, but I do think that it can work. Um, Tobias is a versatile wing who can kind of create his own shot. He's been shooting it pretty well. Uh, just above 40% from three this season. Um, he, he gives the Sixers another guy who can create his own shot. They, he gives them a fourth all-star caliber player, um, considering you could make an argument that he, he should have made the all-star game this season, just like Jimmy Butler should have as well. And then, so they can put four all-stars on the court at the same time and match in a fifth guy. Probably most often it'll be Reddick, but whatever fifth guy works best for them. Um, they can also stagger and have two of these all-stars on the floor at the same time, which is great. And it just gives them a lot of different options. I still think um, it put this puts them in a situation where uh, Harris is more of a forward. Um, it doesn't f uh, fill out the fact that they have kind of a thin guard rotation at this point, but and that they could struggle to guard um, craftier guards uh, like Kyrie Kemba and uh, Kyle Lowry in the playoffs. But this is a huge swing uh, for the Sixers. This is indicating that they want to win now and they're going to play for now um, and not wait on things and that they're worth clearly they're worried about the young core if things could break up and and getting expensive down the road and they're going to take advantage of this while Simmons is still on his rookie deal for a couple more seasons I go for it I really like this deal for both sides actually most for the Clipper for the 76ers I like it because I'm, I'm a big Tobias Harris guy I like what he brings he's an average um, defender but definitely better than Wilson Chandler who you, you had in the starting lineup as well, the loss of Landry Shamet is tough. Shamet has been wet, has been playing pretty well, but Shamet is not a great defender either. And Tobias is probably a little bit better, so I think it'll work out for them. They also add Boban and Mike Scott, which gets them some bench depth at at the big positions at forward and center. Boban has always been effective whenever he plays. He just cannot play too much at a time, and is very much can only play in small spurts. But we see him do that and play in small spurts and do really well. He can also rebound extremely effectively, and putting Joel Embiid and Boban on the court at the same time will rarely, if ever, happen. I doubt we'll see it much, but the Sixers will probably use it situationally, um, like end of game getting rebounds, especially at the free throw line situations, and that's going to be a tough um, to stop and get a rebound around them. Mike Scott gives them a forward who can shoot a little bit, kind of play make, and, and fill his role for sure. It does leave the 76ers thin a little bit. Um, their bench is not great, 
but they've kind of already addressed this a little bit with one trade we talked about earlier and picking up James Ennis from the Rockets. It gives them just another wing that can defend uh, a long-rangey wing who can defend and hopefully hit open shots, but again, he hasn't played a ton this season. For the Clippers, um, this is emptying, uh, get, trading away their best player, which is what we saw the Knicks do uh, just a couple weeks ago, and I and you know that's not never an ideal situation. I think you know if you find yourself trading your best player, you're probably gonna you, there's got to be a couple realities in your organization that's gonna push you to make this move. I think it's slightly different from what the Knicks did because while I love Tobias, um, we're probably seeing what Tobias is fully formed, whereas Porzingis has already been as good if not better than Tobias Harris and is younger and has room to grow so there's there's a difference in what you're trading there um, and then also how you're positioned I think the Clippers have been competitive this year but they know that with their roster and their collection of talent and stuff they're probably at towards the peak of what they're going to get from them and so they wanted to to sell high on what they had and they certainly sold sold high on Tobias they loaded up with four more draft picks Landry Shamet is a nice young player um, who can play alongside Shea Gildress Alexander. He can come off screens and hit shots really well. And it also will give the Clippers the ability to go out and chase um, multiple f- free agents with their cap space this summer, which will be a big deal for them as they try to lure the bigger free agents like Kawhi away from where they're currently playing. I do think, and we'll, this will become more clear later on, but I do think the Sixers probably overpaid for Tobias a little here. I think they wanted to make a big swing and, and definitely came out in order to do that. But as part of that, because they were so willing to make a big swing and they were so overeager, I think they committed to, to sending out probably more than they should have and more than they needed to in order to make this trade happen. I do think that is uh, that is not ideal. But in order, they you can make the argument, and I certainly would kind of be on that argument train that with this move and a couple and the, a couple of their other moves, adding James Anderson, they had one other move at the deadline. They were able to put them in a position where they could. I think they're they're probably the most talented team in the East. I think their starting five is the best starting five in the East. Um, if you start. Embiid, Simmons, Butler, Harris, and, and JJ. Um, they certainly have played really well in the first couple games with him, but again, that's small sample size. We're not going to take that um, as the going forward, what's going to happen, but it's a good indicator of what we probably will see for them all the rest of the season. We'll just have to see how well they can gel before the playoffs because chemistry and fitting everybody in and the whole sharing the ball could very well be an issue for them, especially given what we've seen from uh, Jimmy Butler the last couple of years when it comes to chemistry issues and whatnot. But um, I'm inter- excited to see them play more. I've, ar- I've already liked watching them play. I, I, it's cool to see Tobias. Um, he's going to be a top contributor on a team that should compete for the finals appearance. And then uh, Boban and Tobias get kept together, and they were obviously good buddies out in L.A., so that was nice to see as well. Moving on, we'll talk a little bit more about this Rockets deal where they netted Iman Shumpert. Um, just because I want to talk about it from the other team's pers- perspectives as well. For the Cavs, this is obviously just dumping um, players in order to pick up assets. That lottery-protected 2019 first-rounder is the big asset there. I mean, they can take a shot at Marquise Chris and try and see if they can salvage him, but they um, probably will see there. And then, obviously, Brandon Knight has had his ups and downs, and he's just kind of a filler player for the Cavs. For the Kings, this is kind of an interesting deal. Um, I think this continues to show the Kings are committed to um, getting players and specifically twos we've seen them do this a lot with twos where they go after twos who can create their own shot really hard we saw them go really hard after zach lavina free agency this summer 
And this is kind of a continuation of that in that Alec Burks is a two who can create his own shot, but he can't defend as well as Iman Shumpert. So that's definitely a trade-off you see happening given that the fact that the Kings already have Buddy Heald and Bogdan who can create their own shot at the two. It, it is an interesting choice. Um, we'll see how it works. The Kings are clearly making a push for the playoffs um, with this move, and it'll be exciting to see if they can they can make the playoffs and kind of get that eight seed, even if it likely means they just get swept out by the Warriors. It'll be exciting for that fan base. All right, next deal up, we have the Wizards trading uh, Otto Porter Jr. for Bobby Portis, Jabari Parker, and a 2023 second rounder. Um, the Wizards get significant cap relief with this just because Bobby Portis is on a really, really low deal right now. It's like 2 or $3 million. Jabari Parker is obviously on a $20 million deal, but his next year will be a team option, so the Wizards can move on from him pretty easily or decline and be like, well, we all, we all, all parties involved know you're not worth 20 Let's renegotiate. That could also be an option if they want to keep Parker. Um, for the Bulls, they plug Otto Porter, who's a long wing, who can still defend and hit open shots despite his kind of depressed year in Washington. Um, you slot him right into that young core next to Lowry Markinen and Wendell Carter, and he fits pretty well. He's got Zach Levine on one side. Um, and kind of plug some holes for them pretty easily. Um, so this deal looks solid for both sides. Um, obviously, the Wizards want to get cap relief, and that was important. They got it here. It will be interesting this uh, summer as Bobby Portis will be a free agent. It sounds apparently he turned down. There's rumors that he turned down a 40 to $50 million extension last offseason, and it's because him and his agent want to go out and try and get 16 or $17 million a year. Um, and we'll see if he actually gets that. Portis is obviously is a valuable role player, but worth that much could very it's probably a little bit of a stretch but we'll see how effective they are next up uh the next deal we have is uh, the Mavs trading Harrison Barnes to the Kings in exchange for Justin Jackson and Zach Randolph and they went ahead and waived Zach Randolph um for the Mavs this is a pretty clear deal they're opening up enough cap space to chase a max free agent and add a a third star uh, along with Luca and Porzingis this summer, which is pretty smart. They've kind of it's kind of selling out on making the playoffs this year and just saying we're probably not gonna gonna make that. Um, but we want to position ourselves to be active in the free agent market in the summer and kind of get someone uh, we're looking at someone solid for the Kings. This is this is the three that you would like to see them get a three who can play defense, hit open shots, kind of fill that role. Um, and is not necessarily a shot creator, but fills in other gaps on their team and kind of positions them to make a run at the playoffs. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if they, they, if they can parlay the moves that they've made here at the deadline, taking a risk on Burks over Shumpert, picking up Harrison Barnes. They, they were active at the trade deadline. I, I think they definitely got better at the trade deadline just because turning Justin Jackson and Zach Randolph, who wasn't playing for them, into Harrison Barnes. Um, is definitely an improvement. You know, right now they're sitting just outside of the playoffs, but um, the, the the only team above them is the Clippers, um, and uh, the, with the Clippers kind of selling hard at the deadline, I think the Kings see blood, smell blood in the water, and think that they can make a move here to pick up to pick up and move into this free agent and move into that last playoff spot. All right, next one we've got another uh, Lakers Clippers deal. This is Mike Muscala trading from the Clippers to the Lakers. Muscala, they got in the, the Tobias Harris trade in exchange for Michael Beasley, who they went ahead and the Clippers went ahead and waived, and Ivan Zubek. Um, this is this deal was uh, I found this deal very odd for the Lakers. Uh, Zubak had been mentioned in a bunch of the Anthony Davis deals. Um, maybe that maybe that had a negative effect on him morale wise, and the Lakers wanted to move on from him, but they went ahead and just dealt him to the Clippers 
for Muscala. Um, they needed more shooting, clearly. The Reggie Bullock trade indicates that they were trying to get more more solidified shooting. Um, and Muscala can definitely bring that. But um, Muscala's obviously got some weaknesses on the defensive end. But I think the Lakers probably could have found someone of this caliber player on the buyout market if they had just waited. And instead they jumped and they traded Zubek, who, I mean, he's shown flashes and he's had some good games this season and definitely can be a solid player. And he will probably contribute to the Clippers at least for the rest of the season and very well could get an opportunity to contribute next year as they continue to build and push forward. So it's definitely an interesting decision to go ahead and make this deal now and give up um, Zubek um, when they did. It just kind of, I I don't understand it really. And and we'll see if Muscala makes that big of a difference for them this season, but it seems kind of a very short-sighted move. All right, next up, and this was a big one. We had the Markel Fultz trade. Um, the Sexers were able to deal Markel Fultz to the Magic in exchange for Jonathan Simmons, uh, a 2019 second rounder, which was initially Cleveland, and a 2020 first round pick that's top 20 protected and initially and originally from OKC. So this here is this is the 76ers getting um, some wing depth. Uh, Jonathan Simmons has not been the same since he left the Spurs a couple years ago, but. We saw flashes at the Spurs of his ability to score, defend. Um, he kind of looked like a mini Kawhi at times. And if he can rediscover that, he can be a solid piece for them. Nonetheless, he's going to be a good bench player. He adds depth to the Sixers. Um, and what what this trade is really about is getting return for Fultz. You know, I really hope that Fultz kind of figures things out. I think he will. Um, you know, a lot of athletes deal with weird injuries. Um, and you just kind of have to get through them. Some guys just have these chronic situations. And... You have to figure out what, and just kind of let this guy survive. And I think going to the Magic, um, having an opportunity away from all the media, the 76ers, and all the pressure, and just being in this huge market is going to be good for him and give him the opportunity to actually to rehab, to find his find his spot, and to kind of get going, and you know really become the player that he should be. And just being in a letter, lower stress environment is probably just what he needs to make that happen. And so I, I think I'm glad to see Fultz get this opportunity. The Magic, I think this trade is a home run. I think they, what they got, what the Sixers got back is is enough. Like you can be you can be happy with that, but honestly, you would obviously want more given what you gave up for just the opportunity to select Fultz and what he represents as a as the number one pick in the draft. But for the Magic, they were able to take a risk on a on a point guard for not a ton of assets at play. And you know what? If Fultz pays off and gets back to close to first round first round number one pick production this is a huge win for the magic you know um obviously it's for the 76ers if this works out and they can make a run at the title this year and next year with simmons as part of their rotation it works out for them as well but this is a big buy low um just take a take a small risk on this guy and see what happens for the magic and you know and for a team that has not had a consistent uh point guard in a long time um you you just have to make this move if you're the magic and so definitely applaud for the magic um front office going ahead, ahead and taking the shot and you know swinging for this because if they hit if they hit this one out of the park you know what even if they just turn this into like a double it's a big big win for them um and Fultz can definitely add something and we've seen even without the shooting and trying to get the shoulder right he's a solid defender he can get to the basket he can still move really well and he's very very athletic and if he adds the shot and kind of brings brings his confidence back changes the whole dynamic and then all of a sudden the magic got a number one pick for on the cheap so that's huge for them. All right, the next trade was uh, another one of the three big ones. This was the Raptors acquiring Mark Gasol from the Grizzlies in exchange for C.J. Miles, Jonas Valanciunas, DeLon Wright, 
and a 2024 second rounder. Um, for the Raptors, this is a clear move to just upgrade at center um, and, and kind of bring up their center game, add some depth in that way. Marcus also has some really good numbers and has has shown the ability to play really well defensively against Joel Embiid, which looks to be very important if you're an Eastern Conference team um, trying to get through the uh, get to the finals, as you might have to deal with Joel at some point, and you need to have someone who can who can guard him. Gasol has shown that ability. The the Celtics have Horford and Baines who have shown the ability. Um, the Bucks are the only team without like a, a dedicated Embiid stopper, but they have gone the other way and got smaller to see if they can spread it out and make him less of a factor. So we'll see how that works for them and cover them when we get there. But I think this is a solid move for the Raptors. Um, when you can upgrade at center and get you know a guy of Gasol's caliber, you can do it. They didn't pay a ton. CJ Miles is, had, is having a down year. Jonas Valanciunas has been really good for them, but you were going to have to give up someone big to make this deal happen. And D-line right does hurt their depth a little bit, and um, especially given the injury troubles that we've seen Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet have, it does become worrisome for the Raptors if one of them goes down for a significant amount of time. They no longer have another point guard who can handle the ball in a dominant way uh, now that they've sent out D-line right. But I think this will work out well for them. Um, one thing the Raptors don't do a very good job of is um, getting elbow passing from their bigs and just kind of playmaking off the elbow. We see the Warriors run a lot around that um, previously with Draymond Green, and now they're intermixing DeMarcus Cousins doing that effectively. Marcus Hall obviously brings that to brings that as well and at a, at, a, at a very high level, and so that's something the Raptors miss, and it just adds another element to their offense. It does. Um, it will provide some interesting fit situations for the Raptors it just in the way that um, Gasol is much slower, so it kind of takes away any fast break, um, any real fast break that they were thinking about doing. Um, he's not a big, big player, a, a fast player. When he gets out there, you're going to play at a certain pace. The Grizzlies have played at the slowest pace in the one of the slowest paces in the NBA over the last couple of years with him. Um, and also another part of this deal is DeLon Wright was the guy to really push it for the Raptors, and since they sent him out, we'll probably see the Raptors play a little bit slower. Um, and I guess that's more of a more of what they expect the playoffs to be like, and he will certainly help them score in the half court and play slow. But it does present this issue where the fit next to Ibaka and Siakam will be interesting. Who starts now? Who doesn't start? It looks like in these early games, as they integrate Gasol, has been coming off the bench. Is he going to be okay with that long term, or is he going to want to be returned to the starting lineup? If he wants to become a starter, do, do Ibaka and Siakam have a problem with that, being relegated to the bench all of a sudden? It, it's going to be interesting how they play out. I think it's going to be long-term good for the Raptors, but there will obviously be some gel time with that as well, just like we'll probably see some gel time and some possibly chemistry issues with the 76ers and Tobias Harris. Um, the other deal I wanted to kind of talk about in tandem with this um, is the Grizzlies dealing Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple in exchange for Avery Bradley. So what we saw with the Marcus Altrays, the Grizzlies kind of moving on from Mark. They got a, they got a solid return for him. I mean, DeLon Wright can be a good young piece that they help build around. He should he should match well with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. But what this deal is acquiring Avery Bradley is it's like kind of like the Lakers deal to acquire Michael Scala. It's kind of a head scratcher. But what makes it even worse of a head scratcher is so Avery Bradley has not played well this season. He's only he his uh, next year's contract is only partially guaranteed for two million, so it's not a big cap hit. But what you do is you're sending to the Clippers Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple. Garrett Temple's a solid veteran wing. Jermichael Green's kind of a young power forward, kind of figuring out. Definitely a, a role player of some kind. But what this gives uh, you is the um, sorry about the the noise. My cat is going kind of crazy right now for whatever reason. But 
back to the trade. The Clippers get two expiring contacts in Jermichael, Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple that will help keep them afloat for the rest of the season, but are expiring and continue to clear cap room for them to make moves in the summer, who they could also bring back um, if they want and if they think they'll fit long-term. And they, get, they got those in exchange for very, very little just because of, again, Avery Bradley's poor performance this season. The, the Clippers are clearly want to center their um, guard rotation around the young guards, around Shea Gilchrist-Alexander, around Landry Shamet, around Jerome Robinson, who's starting to play better with more playing time. Um, and so this is a this is a home run of a trade for the Clippers, more questionable for the Grizzlies, even though they made a rather good deal for Marcus Saul. And they also, it's important to note, they stood pat and didn't deal Mike Conley. And I'm going to kind of figure that out. Uh, the last big trade I want to go over of the trade deadline is the Bucks. Uh, Pistons, Pelicans, what became a three-team deal. Initially in the week, we had heard that the Bucks were going to swap uh, Thonmaker to the Pistons in exchange for Stanley Johnson. What they instead did is they brought the Pelicans in on this deal and turned this into a three-teamer. And the Bucks got Nikola Miritich, the Pistons still got Thonmaker, and then the Pelicans got Stanley Johnson from the Pistons, Jason Smith from the Bucks, um, a 2019 second-round pick from Milwaukee that's originally Denver's, a 2020 second round pick, which is Milwaukee's, a 2020 Washington second round pick, which came from Milwaukee, but initially is Washington's, and then a 2021 second rounder from Milwaukee, which was also initially Washington's. So, so I, super weird, but I put that on there to explain that even though the Bucks gave away four, four second round picks, only one was their actual asset. The others were assets that they had acquired in other trades, which I think makes this an even better deal for the Bucks. But what's important is the Bucks took Thon Maker, who wasn't playing, and Jason Smith, who wasn't really playing, and turned them basically into Nikola Miritich, who will help them in the playoff race. This makes them dangerous. He adds flexibility lineup-wise. He can play next to Giannis in certain lineups, which just him and Giannis is the only bigs out there, and he can space and hit threes. Um, if Brooke Lopez gets schemed off the floor because he's slower, Nikola Miritich is a little faster, can hand, can deal, can defend in space a little bit better than Brooke, and provides the same kind of shooting abil ability. Um I really like this deal for the Bucks. Miritich can be inconsistent, but we've seen him uh, be a solid performer down the stretch. He was really good for the Pelicans in the playoffs last season. He got hot one game and just won them one game against the Trailblazers just by getting really, really hot. And obviously with the Bucks play style offensive scheme and how well Giannis is just kind of dominating the game this season he is a definitely a top candidate to just have that ability to have one game where he just gets goes nuclear in the playoffs and makes it happen again and that's why this is worth it for them um as for the Pistons they get to take a risk on Thon Maker see if they can turn him into a piece um he definitely showed flashes for the Bucks last year but he just kind of got buried on the depth chart this year obviously for the pelicans doing this you get to take a shot on a young wing like stanley johnson see what he can do see what he can create um see if a change of scenery makes a big difference for me for him and then obviously they get four second round picks and i've talked about this with the Cavs and their stockpiling of second round picks even though it's a second round pick and obviously you would want four first rounders or first rounders are more valuable a ton of second round picks you can use to package to get a first rounder you can take shots at second rounders we've seen a lot of Good players be drafted in the second round recently. Landry Shamet, who I've talked about a bunch on this, who was looking good um, for the 76ers despite some weaknesses and is now a piece the Clippers are going to look to incorporate into the lineup. He was a second rounder. Draymond Green was a second rounder. So we're seeing the ability for second round picks to make a difference and having four of them, just four shot, four bites at the apple, is big for the Pelicans' war chest. All right. That was a lot of deals. Um, talked to and you know went over them in detail pretty hard. But I think um, I want to kind of wrap up with some big thoughts. 
Um, I think what we saw here is the Clippers load the war chest, um, get ready to make a push in free agency and set, set them up well. We saw both the Heat and the Rockets getting under the um, luxury tax and saving salary as much as they can. The Wizards doing that as well. Um, this comes off also on the back of the Wizards information that John Wall fell at his house. Torres Achilles is going to be out a year. This is and so he'll miss the first season of his super deal, um, and we'll we'll see how well he is for the second uh, season of his mega deal. So we see three teams: the Wizards, the Rockets, and the Heat get under the luxury cap, save money. The only one where this is this is going to be significant impacts long term is I, that worries me about the Rockets just because they're they're the only of those three teams who's in a position to compete for the title this year and what this signaling because they were scrambling to make these deals could mean for how their owners want to play it. Um, we saw the uh, Mavs and the Grizzlies sell on a couple of their um, key pieces in order to just kind of settle in and and prep for next year. Um, the Mass specifically opening up cap space to make a run. The Kings doubling down or making the playoffs this year um, and kind of making that push. And I think the final big takeaway is that the rich in the Eastern Conference got richer here. Both all three of the 76ers, the Bucks, and the Raptors got significantly better with deals that they made at the deadline, and they made them smartly without having to give up too much. If you're going to make an argument that anyone overpaid, it was definitely the Sixers on Tobias Harris. But all three of the Sixers, the Raptors, and the Bucks got got much better in this situation and put themselves in a position to it's the the Eastern Conference playoffs. Probably the, the second round is going to be a bloodbath. The first round won't be that good just because the Pacers, who were going to be the one team that might compete with one of the top four in the East. Um, lost Oladipo, he'll be out for the season, and so the first round will likely be a series of four-zero sweeps, or maybe maybe a four-one here and there. The second round, we're likely going to see Boston, Philly, Toronto, and the Bucks. All four of them in the second round, all playing each other for a shot at the Eastern Conference Finals. All of these teams have high expectations at this point. All of these teams have improved their rosters. All have significant um, ways weights on them moving forward and with this season. Um, you're going to have especially um, important to note that the Boston is included in this foursome because of how good they are, but they didn't make a significant move at the deadline. They did deal Jabari Bird to the Hawks in exchange for cash, and the Hawks immediately waived him. So not a, not a big move there, but and wasn't enough to kind of talk about significantly on the podcast. But all, all of these four he, he, uh, Eastern Conference teams have got a big offseason ahead of them, and I've got a lot of weight riding on their season. And so this, the Eastern Conference playoffs is what you're going to be one watching, especially for the second round. And I think it's important to note that I think all of the teams got better except for the Celtics who stood pat amidst some of the rumors and the Anthony Davis stuff, and we'll see kind of how it plays out. I think if you were probably going to rank them, I think when it comes to acquiring the best player, I think the 76ers clearly did that in grabbing Tobias Harris as the best current player right now. I think the best fit and the easiest fit was definitely the Bucks bringing in Miritic. He, he, he's, he brings the versatility. He's going to probably fit seamlessly into what they're trying to do and just add another dimension to their roster. And with Giannis tearing it up, there's going to be no telling um, how we're going to see how much he can add for them. So it was a great trade deadline. Um, this, this back final bit of the season is going to be super exciting. We've got the All-Star Weekend coming up because they moved the deadline in front of the All-Star Weekend this year. But um, if you're an Eastern Conference uh, watcher, um, get ready. It's going to be an exciting playoff run. Um, and in general, we saw a lot of interesting moves. We saw teams playing for the future, teams, teams maligning the future. We saw teams looking towards the future and also getting better now. 
Um, we also saw some teams make some bad deals, which we see usually, and we also saw the evol the evolving role of the owner and what that can mean for your NBA team. And we also saw plenty of pettiness and bickering back and forth and some hilariousness, which is par for the course in the NBA. So um, I hope you guys, y'all, enjoyed the deadline, and I will talk to you next week.